0: Everybody doing tonight or good morning. This is Thomas Dobson, the host of Direct Thoughts Podcast, and I'm coming to you with another episode of Direct Thoughts. You can also check the podcast out on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. And also uh, use Anchor, the the website that you got, the app that you guys are probably using currently. And I appreciate you guys for your support. Just plug in um, Direct Thoughts, Thomas Dobson, and my name should pop up. And once again, I appreciate you guys. Last week, I went to a little bit of detail about some of the experiences I overcame in life, some of the struggles. And I touched on maybe two or three at the most. You know, I didn't want to bore the audience or get too deep into a conversation where I was just giving too much too soon. But over the week, I was just um, doing some thinking. And one of the reasons and motivations why I started this podcast, it was to pit more education into the world about mental illness. As we know, mental illness affects about 44 million people and that number is growing larger by the day you know we come from these neighborhoods and we see some very terrifying things happen very traumatic events we grew up in households where there's abuse and we kind of hold these feelings and push these feelings way deep down inside of us hoping they will go away and as we get older to relationships and you know we're working you know and are in our careers and boom something happens and a trigger a trigger happens and now you're losing your job, your marriage, you know, your your well-being. And that bothers me because I remember going back um to a place where I was confused. I was lost. I was so in the dark. My world was dark. You know, and I'm not just saying that as a to be a joke. You know it it, it was really dark. And it was so bad that I didn't know who to trust, you know, I couldn't be around people. I isolated myself. I questioned everything I was doing and it was bad. And the environment that I grew up in, it wasn't real conducive to talking about your feelings, especially if you was a male, you know, that was kind of shunned upon. You was considered weak, soft. And I continued to push all this stuff deep down inside me until I joined the military. And while in the military, unfortunately I was shot And that's when everything just kind of just came. I think this 10-ton boulder just came crashing down on me. And like a lot of people who suffer from, you know, these illnesses, don't really know how to get help or ask for help, we turn to other things to kind of mask the feeling of pain. You know, alcohol, drugs. And... You know, some even, you know, unfortunately uh, commit suicide because the pain is so deep. It's so real. And people just don't really understand how powerful the mind really is. It can work. It can it can work both ways for you. Let me give you let me, Let me explain a little bit more what I'm saying. You know, people always say, you know... The, the, your mind is a terrible thing to waste. You know, your mind is the biggest muscle. However, when you feel like your mind is working against you, you really feel a lot of control because you can't really rationale anything. You're trying to be logic, logical. You're trying to see things clear. You just can't. There's there is there is a barrier, up and you and you can't you can't look over it. You can't look under it. It's just there, and it's no daylight, and it's like a never-ending hallway of darkness and you're traveling down and you're trying your best to just look for the littlest beacon of light at the end and it's not there. And that's the world I was living in. I was literally living in a world of uncomfortability. I still am. However, I found coping mechanisms and I have a support group and I have these things that I wish I had growing up. I was diagnosed clinical depression depression as a kid and i remember going to therapy sessions and all that stuff and as a kid you don't know why you're here you know all you know you go to this place one time a week and you know there's toys and puzzles and you know this lady talking to you all nice and comforting and you really don't know you know why you're there and she's asking you all these questions and they're watching you interact with with certain things and they're pitting different challenges and see how you do you know see see you know see, see seeing how you you know, associate with things. And as I got older, I sat and thought about it. Like, man, why was I going to therapy for the years? I get it partly because I was in a foster home as well, but not all the kids were going to therapy. Then I started to, I had to kind of dig deep and ask myself, well, honestly, after the trauma I um, suffered in the Navy, you know, things kind of unjarred my memory a little bit. And like I said, you know, certain things we, we pit so deep down inside of us, you know, certain things are just have them all pour out at the same time. And I faced a lot of trauma as a kid, as a baby, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And a lot of it was due to my mother and her husband, Thomas, on drugs, and the fact that I think he knew that I was his kid, even though I was named after him, I remember when I was about three or four, he broke my leg because I couldn't put my shoe on the right on the right feet. So sat me on the table, took my shoes off. Put, he put him on the wrong on, on the right feet, and then when he came to my right leg, he took my you know he he took you know he's put my shoe on as we do our kids, and I was on my back, and this dude took my leg and pushed all the way back to the table I was on, and all you heard was a pop mama come running in there, you know, screaming at him, like, what did you do to my baby? He trying to play it off. And I remember that day. Like it was yesterday. That's funny, man. The ambulance came and he turned into he turned into the nicest guy possible. You know, because he didn't want me saying nothing because he could have potentially have been, you know, locked up. He's the one who cut my cast off too early. You know, I remember going over my aunt Vicky house and her bathtub, I was in there and he Cut my cast off. Um, The man threw me in the dryer one time. You know, he was uh arguing what I assumed was his friend. And uh, we were living in the projects. And uh, he threw me in the dryer while him and the man started fighting. And I think, you know, sub, somebody got, was uh, stabbed as well. So, you know, and and, and that's just a short list of, of, of things, honestly. um, There was a whole slew of other things as well. But, you know, we're going to attack those subjects a little later because those those a little deeper and those uh, and those uh subjects um i'm gonna need to really uh articulate and i want to you know deliver it right because i don't want anyone getting mad who may hear this but yeah so i would die diag- i was diagnosed with depression and depression it's one of them things where you can, you know, they have they have different forms of depression as well. You know, they have seasonal seasonal um affective disorder. They have psychotic depression, postpartum persistent persistent disorder, a uh, dep- uh, depression disorder. You know, everybody know they have even bipolar uh, bipolar depressive disorder. Um, at one point I was so depressed, and the the duration of time I was under this um this mindset. It had to be for over a year man and i was literally living in 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 cloudiness you know and then it it, let me let me me slow down a little bit let me let me think about this a little bit because i'm trying to i'm trying to think of i'm trying to take my you know this is tough for me as well because to relive some of this stuff and go back to some of these times i have to kind of put myself in the mindset of me at that particular time and it's, it's tough because I don't want to trigger nothing and have me, you know, depressed now, you know, because the only thing, the one word that, if if anything, because everybody, everybody's illnesses are different. You know, everybody, everybody's symptoms are different and they go about life differently. Me, the one thing that I did was isolate myself. And if I felt you posed a threat to me, I just wouldn't mess with you. You know, I wouldn't talk to you. i stay away from you. Because I was so weak. I felt it. I felt like I was so weak. You know, I avoided confrontation. I avoided arguments. I avoided everything. And I just isolated myself because I felt like, I was a see-through. I, I I felt like I was a glass man. I felt like everybody could see right through me. And that made me feel uncomfortable even more. So what I did was isolate myself. And at the time, my siblings were a y- little younger. You know, I'm about 18, 17. I'm about, about 17, 18, uh, 17, 18, 19 years old. And the only thing I could do at that time was move out the hood, move far away as I possibly could, and just do do things that I wanted to do. So that's what I did. Because I couldn't go back home. Basically, my adopted father kicked me out at the age of 17. And I had to go homeless a while. Luckily at the time I had a I had a uh, a lady friend who let me, you know, use her car. So I'll sleep in her car and you know, in the city where I'm from, it gets extremely cold. So, you know, it's snow like crazy, it's two degrees, and I'm out there sleeping in the cold, no money. You know, it was real. It was real. It was it was real, man. It was it was real, sad. You know, I moved in with my brother at one point, my older brother, <clears throat> but uh, his girlfriend ended up kicking me out because she picked me on a ten o'clock curfew in the house. You know, she wanted me in the house by ten o'clock, but one day I was out in the parking lot of the small apartment complex, and you know, basically they kicked me out because of that because I wasn't inside the house. Basically, she was just looking for a way. She's, she's looking for me to go anyway so you know i bounced around a little bit and i eventually moved in with some friends that i had knew from other friends and uh I lived with them for a while man and uh you know it was a bad feeling man because i felt unwanted i felt vulnerable as hell you know um and that's another word that uh when i want to describe some of these mental illnesses you feel really really vulnerable and that vulnerability man it almost for me is kind of blood to sharks and people prey on the weak. and i wasn't a big guy man you know i was really small at the time and you know, um I had all these different problems working against me, right? So <clears throat> if it wasn't for the grace of God, man, and my sheer willpower to make it out, I personally believe I would have been dead because I had no one. I had no one. Friends graduated, moved on to college, and I was just there alone. And um you learn a lot uh, you learn a lot about yourself. You really do. So I took that time to grow. Until I made decisions until I made the the decision to join the military. And, you know, these these mental disorders don't you know, all because you live in one particular city, when you go to another one, they don't stay there. They, they this stuff travel it travels with you. And I'm sorry again for 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 rambling on, but I'm just trying to give y'all some a little bit of insight on the mind frame in which I was in at certain points of my life, dealing with these these disorders, anxiety, and depression, PTSD didn't come until until late, a little later on after my gun, you know, shot wound, and I I'll get to that, but dealing with these dealing with anxiety and depression, man, it didn't make it no better too because I also was I started to smoke weed, and weed is a downer. Well, back then, you know, they didn't have the stuff they have now, but Back then it was a it was a downer, and I used to smoke weed with buddies and and just one day I couldn't do it no more. My mind would just flip upside down, became very very paranoid. My my heart pumping through the through the roof, you know. And I've been smoking for a couple of years up to that point, and it didn't bother me, man. Like a switch one day, everything just flipped inside of his head, you know, and that's, and that's, and that's when, you know, and, and, and that's also when I, I, I knew something was wrong, but I just could put my finger on it. But for people who don't know what anxiety is, basically anxiety is, <clears throat> sorry, sorry for doing that into the microphone. Um, This is from mentalhealthinformation.gov. Basically, occasional anxiety is an expected part of life. You might feel it anxious when faced with problems at work before taking a test or before making an important decision. But anxiety disorders involve more than temporary worry or fear. For a person with an anxiety disorder, the anxiety does not go away and can, it can get worse over time. The symptoms can interfere with daily activities such as job performance, school, work and relationships. And that's real. Like I said before, I live in a world of uncomfortability in my mind, you know. I I literally walk in and work every day like I'm going to lose my job. And I don't know why because my productivity is 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 nice, it's high. And you know, I'm you know, I'm you know, I have great evals and I'm doing my thing. But every day I walk in there, I just have this anxiety. And probably too because I'm black too, you know, you know how that goes. But you know, it's always one of these things where you know, when I have to personally people with certain disorders <clears throat> where you have to interact with people throughout the day and report to management. And, you know, you got to go talk to other division heads and et cetera, et cetera. And also you get a, you know acquainted with those, you know, in close proximity of where you, you know, r- really sit, you know, the whole cubicle life thing. You know, you, you develop relationships. You're not going to be cool with everybody. Everybody's not going to be happy you came on board. There's going to be, you know, people who saying, you know, X, Y, and Z, who knows? So now you have an a enemy at work. So now you walk into work every day with this anxiety because now you feel like you have to walk on eggshells because this person, you know, you have to watch what you say and do around this person because this person, you know, this person might, you know, try to ruin you or something like that. So, uh, so you know, that's just part of, you know, what I go through as well. I'd like to also include some some symptoms uh, with anxiety. Uh, you feel restlessness, wound up or an edge. You have uh, trouble concentrating, your mind going blank, being very irritable, difficult controlling feelings of worry, sleep problems such as difficulty falling or staying asleep, restlessness or unsatisfying sleep. The last one that I have a lot, a lot of. Um, for me, going to sleep is a problem. Staying asleep is a problem. And every morning I wake up at the same time, with that alarm clock, I feel tired every single day. But I push through, you know, because, you know, I understand now that I can control my mind with direct thoughts. I can control myself. Even though this thing is there, I have to fight. I am stronger than it. That. And that's where everybody, that's where anybody have to understand, you know, do not let your illnesses become you. Because when you stop fighting, that's when it wins and you can really hurt someone or hurt yourself, you know, and neither of those you want to do. Final, uh, My final one I want to talk about is PTSD. I think a lot of people can relate to this. Everyone has been through a traumatic event or seeing something and we develop these phobias. You know, we don't want to, you know, drive after a certain time or, you know, we don't want to go to a particular place. You know, we do these things because, you know, the fear of certain things. Events happening again, right? Well, that's a form of PTSD, ladies and gentlemen. And we do this to protect ourselves. However, you relive, you relive in that situation over and over and over again. And you fear for that situation to happen again. I was shot. I know, right? Me. I was shot while on active duty. No, I wasn't in Afghanistan or Kuwait. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time, off base. And I wasn't doing anything stupid you know how young people do i was just minding my business on my on, on my on my phone trying to make the night better and you know ran into a couple of you know ran you know walking through a parking lot one car on my right my one minivan on my right green mazda mpv mpv van never forget it four four deep and then on my left it was a car full of ladies and i guess these dudes were trying to impress the girls or whatever they were talking back and forth but i'm on my cell phone i mean i remember everything from what i was wearing i had to I had the Boston Celtics warm-up jersey on, the white with the green letters. I had the uh, green Jabot jeans on with the uh, Air Force ones, with the uh, green and white Celtics hat, with the white do-rag underneath. I remember everything down to the T. I had a Motorola phone in my pocket. And, you know, I'm walking past this walking in between these cars, trying to go into the store. One of the dudes said something to me, you know? So I looked at him and said, uh, you know, what you say? So, you know, next thing, next thing, you know, we, you know, words, words got back, you know, traded back and forth and, that's, you know, doors opened So I'm thinking these dudes wanted to fight me or whatever. So I'm looking around for my homeboys because it's four of them, it's one of me. And I know I'm about to get into a fight. So, you know, as I'm walking away from the car a little bit, about four feet okay about five feet the person on the passenger side reached under the the seat of his the van pulled out a gun and pointed at me and pulled the trigger pow and there was like a one second delay and all you heard was screams and people just running and i'm still standing so i I know, I identify that I recognize I'm not dead. I see these dudes hop into the van. I'm seeing these people run around, but I didn't know I was shot. So I'm like, I'm about to get these dudes license plate number. Cause cops was around in the area. So I'm like, I'm about to get these dude license plate number. <clears throat> so as I'm standing there, I felt something warm going down my, my leg. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I pulled my pants leg up, and I ain't gonna lie. At the time, I was a pretty boy. I was really into fashion and how I looked. I was real vain. I said these niggas done fucked up my Air Force ones. I didn't even care that I got shot. I was so worried about my damn. I was so worried about my Air Force ones. Mm-mm-mm. But so th- simultaneously, my boys came was like, "Oh shit, you you good, bro? You good, bro?" And I'm like, yeah, they like sit down. I'm like, no, I ain't sitting down, man. It's gonna hurt getting up because I got shot directly above my knee. But luckily, I had the Motorola phone in my pocket, the Metal Jones. And if if anybody wore a pair of Jabot jeans, y'all know those pockets are really big and, and and deep. So that phone was way down, close to my um, close to you know the, my knee. So the bullet hit the phone. And redirected it. However, in the process, it hit some, some nerves. I am blessed to be here just today because that thug, let's call him what he is, that pussy, the whole ass nigga, he could've took me out of here. He could have aimed a little bit higher, hit me in the stomach, the chest, who knows? You know, through the grace of God, he hit he hit me where he hit me at and I'm able to talk to you today. Um, that's a real stressful time for me because if you know me, you know that I was a really good athlete. I was really good at football, and I was really fast on the track, and I had Navy, I had tryouts for the Navy football team coming up. By this happening, it took me, it took me out, and I was depressed because it, I apologize for my silence, but just, just kind of going back through it. And I remember waking up, you know, ambulance came to pick me up. <laughs> like I told you, I was really vain at the time. I cared about my clothing, because I remember hopping in the ambulance, and I had my Jabol jeans on. The whole one that big, so I'm like, shit, I could still wear these jeans. So the paramedic tried to cut my jeans. I was like, no, 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 no. Take no take these off. <laughs> so the woman and man literally slid my jeans off and folded them up and put them to the side because I ain't want them cut through my damn jeans, messing my jeans up. Put the morphine in my body, passed out, woke up in the hospital. Well, woke up in the hospital in the most excruciating pain I ever felt in my life. Not just the the bullet hit the phone, but there were particles, shrapnel, was if you if you say, of the phone and bullet in my, I mean sorry, the phone in my skin. So they're digging, you know. If anybody's been shot, they you know, they got to clean the wound out, and it was some of the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my entire life. And I'm thinking, you know, when it's time for me to leave, I'm about to have all my boys there. I did call my mom and let her know, you know, hey mom, I's was, I was been shot. You know, I was I was calling for my dad, you know, my adopted dad. Mama just said he sleep. Call back tomorrow. That shit kind of hurt as well. But anyways, it is what it is. I just never felt enough. Like- I just really felt like nobody cared about me, you know. I never felt like no, I, I never felt like nobody really ignored. You know, everybody say, yeah, uh, yeah, you're I mean, uh, yeah, I was a nice guy. I was very cuz I was raised right, you know. I was yes ma'am, no ma'am type of guy, you know. I wasn't I wasn't raised to be disrespectful to women or to elders. You know, I respected all of that. So when I left the hospital, I'm thinking I happened to have my boys out there. Because they, they was with me, you know? I'm about, you know. I'm about to have my boys come pick me up. Nope. I had my uh, I had my Navy chief. He came and, you know, he uh, he took you know he took me out to my boys' house. Because my boy had my car at the time. So I walk into his crib, you know, his, his, his homeboy, his cousin's crib. I walk in there and I, I'm thinking I'm about to get like, yo, what's good? Yo, let's go strap up. Let's go find these niggas. Was good. Let's let, let's ride. These dudes in there entertaining some chicks. Basically, dudes just looked at me like, all right, you good? Bet. So I happened in my car and I drove myself across the bridge from Norfolk, Virginia, back to Newport News to my apartment. And I had the painkillers. I had the Percocets and shit. So I'm popping them shit. So I caught a couple of homies who I work with, and you know, white boy, you uh, know, and, uh, and my my homie. And um, at that moment, that's when I started abusing narcotics. You know. They were giving me hydrocodone and Percocets, and I'm drinking this shit with beer and liquor, and I'm trying to drown out all the pain. At the time, the woman I was dating, she was she was back home in the Midwest, and I didn't have anybody, you know. That was another eye-opening experience for me because I was back lonely again, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. But it was, you know, it's tough. So here comes another deep depression because I had nobody, me again trying to figure this thing out but shortly after that i was able to meet new people and began to have a support system support system to surround me plus some other things that changed my life personally as well as far as being uh, relocated to california and you know getting in but uh um, be reunited with my biological mother which i'm gonna talk about that in a later podcast and uh her telling me who my uh biological father was which altered my life for the good so stay tuned but thank you all for listening to my podcast